Uh, for those of you who may not know who I am, my name is Pastor Dan. I've known uh, JP for a very long time. Uh, we were both, uh, when I met him, we were youth pastors at the same time and kind of in a support group for each other because <laughs> we need that, you know. And um, as I have seen him grow and mature and uh, come into his own over the last 10 years or so, uh, he's just become somebody that I really, greatly and deeply respect. And you guys are so blessed to have him as your pastor. I hope you know that and how unfortunate it is that you have me this morning <laughs> to bring you the message. Uh, you guys have been doing a sermon series on the essentials of your vision. You've talked about your mission, and you've talked about the vision of the kingdom and of this church, and I'm here as a guest <laughs> to talk about the values. And so I pray you, you'll uh, bear with me and stuff like that uh, as, we, as we do this, but I think, I think we're all gonna have a good time uh, now, I have, I have something I need to say up front. I have a, a PowerPoint to go along with this. Some of you are maybe going to find this distracting. Some of you are going to say, ooh, visuals. Okay. Um, I get really into this. Okay. So we're going to be talking about what a lived life of love what living a life of love looks like, okay? And we're going to talk about that. We're going to start off with something that may not, that just off the top of your head, you're going to be like, where is Pastor Dan going with this? Not a professional. Trust me. All right? I own, my family owns an Xbox One. Anyone else have an Xbox in the house? See, I knew the kids were going to love this. All right, my kids are Minecraft junkies. I don't play much myself. I don't get into the game playing all that much. And most of that is really because I like playing hero games. I like being the good guy. And believe it or not, that really limits your choices <laughs> with the games that are out there today. But one of the games that I really like to play and I was really excited about when it came out last year was Batman Arkham Knight. Now, any of you have this game? It doesn't matter if you do it or not. All right, but, all right so this is the kind of person you're dealing with. Um, the ad campaign for this game was really, really intense. And that is very much due to the fact that somebody came up with a near perfect marketing tagline for this game. Be the Batman. Be the Batman. Now you could be the Batman. That's what this game promised. Every preview of the game showed Batman in thrilling cinematic action, fighting villains, driving the Batmobile, flying throughout Gotham City, using all of his gadgets, and every trailer ended with that tagline, be the Batman. And the apex of this marketing campaign, at least to me, was a live-action television commercial for this. A live-action TV spot called Be the Batman. <laughs> Apparently, these guys were really serious. They don't want you to just play being the Batman. They want you to be the Batman. They want you to be the Batman in real life. Okay? 
And there were four scenarios that played throughout this commercial. And these, these different values were highlighted by these people who actually lived up to doing what Batman would do. Be selfless, like a fireman going into a burning building to save people who are trapped inside. Be determined, like an athlete keeps going and keeps striving even when it hurts. Be courageous. Stand up for the weak and the helpless, and be feared. Fight back against the thugs in the alley. Be the bat. <laughs> it struck me after I saw this commercial that basically what it was saying was, we want you to be disciples of the bat. In each of the four scenarios in the commercial, the people who exemplified selflessness, determination, courage, and being feared are held up as role models because they have become like the Batman. They were like him. They owned his mission. They shared his vision, and they lived his values. And because of that, his image was clearly seen. The message that I came away with from the commercial was this, I would be a better person if I were the Batman. The world would be a better place if I were the Batman. Who doesn't want to be a better person? Who doesn't want to make the world a better place? Get this game for only $59.95 and learn how to be the Batman. Be that better person and make the world a better place. Now, if you think that I'm going to advocate stealing this campaign and rebranding it for Christianity, you are mistaken. I don't want to see any loud and obnoxious Christian t-shirts with the comic book muscle Jesus clearing the temple or on the cross or coming out of the tomb with the words, be the Jesus, put across the front of it. That would be lame. The church doesn't need any more gimmicks. It doesn't need any more team t-shirts, ball caps, or WWJD bracelets. It's got plenty of those already, and let's be honest, they really haven't done a whole lot of good, have they? What it needs is for you and me to be real, intentional, committed disciples of Jesus. People who do more than just wear the shirts, sport the bumper stickers, and know the talking points. People whose lives back up their profession. People who, when we speak or act, leave the unmistakable impression that person is like Jesus. To be a disciple of Jesus, you need to own his mission. You need to share his vision. And you need to live his values. Jesus' mission is the Great Commission. See how that rhymes? Jesus' mission is the Great Commission. I just realized that right now. That's fantastic. We're to be making disciples wherever we find ourselves and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commanded. Now that seems a little bit daunting. What did Jesus command? How do we teach them everything? Well, all that is summed up in his vision in the Great Commandment. The Great Commandment is the content that we're supposed to be teaching in the Great Commission. Jesus' vision is to love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. 
A disciple is somebody who is learning to live out the great commandment and the great commission. A disciple of Jesus is somebody who is learning to love God and love others and help other people do the same. That's it. That's what being a disciple is. Okay? Now, popular Christianity has pretty much reduced discipleship to knowing scripture, attending church, and taking part in Christian activities. It's complicated it because it's made discipleship uh, into something where there are these expectations that have to be met, levels that need to be achieved before certain things can happen. When you bring up the subject, when I bring up the subject anyway of being a disciple, of discipling other people, uh, I get responses like this. I'm not qualified. I'm too busy. I don't know my Bible well enough. I'm not comfortable sharing my faith. Have you heard any of these? Said any of these? I have way too many problems. For me, it's like I have a wife and three daughters at home. I live in the estrogen palace. I've got plenty of problems. I don't have time to decide people. I'm just trying to survive. I'm not a teacher. I don't have the gift of evangelism. I'm not a JP. I don't know anybody. Now, that one always gets me because they're talking to me. They obviously know somebody. But all these questions imply that we've made discipleship small and complicated. We've made it small. It's something you have to have time to do. It's optional. It only happens at certain times or in certain places or with certain people. We've made it complicated. You need to have attained a high degree of knowledge. You need to have certain gifts. You need to have it all together. Jesus saw it big and kept it simple. He saw it big. Being a disciple meant loving God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind, and loving your neighbor as yourself. That's big. That's a big vision. And it was also simple. You love God, you love your neighbor, and you help them be learning to do the same for other people. And neighbor had no small print. The Great Commission means living out the Great Commandment and helping other people do the same. It's simple. The mission is to make disciples. The vision is to make disciples everywhere who knew and knew how to obey God's commands. The values of Jesus' mission is summed up in loving one another the way he loves us. And what that looks like, you know, that's a, this is really important, an important point to make here. You know, when Jesus says that, people will know you're uh, my disciples by how you love one another. You ever notice at the end, Jesus never explained what that meant? He didn't have to explain it to them. They knew what it meant. They'd been living with him for three years. They knew how he loved them. Love isn't something that you just explain. Love is something that you live together. You learn together. It's a relational thing. And so what did he mean? And, and so one of the ways we can go to unpack a little bit of what Jesus did was to read that passage that we, uh, was read right before the sermon, 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7, where Paul's talking about love. And he says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy you. It does not boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. 
It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Okay, this thing is working. This is good. This is a little snapshot of how Jesus loved the disciples. Okay? Jesus was patient with them. He was patient with his disciples. He was kind to them. He didn't envy anyone. He never boasted about himself or used his divinity to get his way from anybody. He was never rude or malicious or dishonoring of anyone. His love wasn't self-seeking. It was about sacrificing himself for others, not getting things for himself. Jesus dealt with a lot of frustration. Whoops. He dealt with a lot of frustration and disappointment, but he rarely got angry, and when he did, it was very short-lived. He never stayed angry. He didn't keep a list of sins over his disciples' heads. Peter screwed up more than anybody else. Over the, Would you all agree with that? Yeah. If Jesus was keeping a list of any of the disciples, Peter would have had the longest list that we know of. And when Jesus meets Mary after he's resurrected and is telling her to go to the, the disciples, make sure you tell Peter to meet me. Yeah. He didn't keep a list. All those times he screwed up, all those times he failed, even three times denying Jesus, that did not keep Jesus from loving him. He doesn't keep a list. He never delighted in the bad things that happened to people. And he always rejoiced when the truth went out. He always protected his disciples. He always trusted them. He put his hope in them. Because he, knows, he knew that his father had given them to him. He could hope in them because God's hope was in them. And his love for them always persevered. It wasn't going to go out. Nothing could change it. That's how he loved them. Not because they earned it. Not because they deserved it. Not because they brought something to the table. But because he simply chose to. He loved them that way in spite of the fact that they had not earned it, that they didn't deserve it, and that they didn't add anything to his credibility. That's the love he loved them with. It's the same love that he loves us with, and it's the same love he wants us to have for one another. Now, mission is where you're going. Vision is what things look like, what you're going to look like when you get there. Values defines how you're going to act and relate and lead in order to get there. The value of Christ's kingdom and therefore of your vision statement is love. Loving God and loving others. Being a disciple first and foremost means loving God. And love is primarily a thing of the heart. 
I believe that's why the heart is the first thing listed in the great commandment, love the Lord with all your heart. Because while love has to do with your mind and your spirit, it really does have to do with your heart. Love has to do with being committed, being, not only being committed though, it has to do with being devoted, it has to do with your feelings. Look, love is a whole lot more than feelings. And it's certainly a whole lot more than that lovey-dovey stuff that we talk about all the time. But love is less than feeling. You tell your wife that your love has nothing to do with feelings and you love her like her, you're going to get slapped. God wants us to love him with all of our heart and soul and mind. And when you do that, when you love somebody like that, they're always on your mind. You can't stop thinking about them. They have your devotion. They have your trust, your attention, your desire. Being with them makes you happy. Serving them brings you joy. You're willing to sacrifice for the person that you love. The same is true with loving God. When we're loving God, he's got our devotion, our trust, our attention, our desire. We're willing to sacrifice for him. The first part of the great commandment is about loving God so completely that our whole life is marked by that love. Second, being a disciple means loving others. As the Father's love was incarnated in Jesus to his disciples, and Jesus' love was incarnated in those disciples to their disciples, Jesus wants to see his love incarnated through us to each other and to our disciples. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Okay. Love for God always leads to loving our neighbor as ourselves. God's love is not ever described as a pool. It's described as a well. It's described as a spring. God's love always flows outward. Loving God naturally leads to loving your neighbor because God's love naturally flows outward. Therefore, being a disciple also means loving others. Loving God and loving others are not two separate commandments. They are two parts of the same commandment. Jesus said, this is the, this is the great commandment, not the great commandment. <laughs> commandment. They're so related, in fact, to each other that you really can't separate them. You can't do one and do the other. You have to be doing both. That's what John was teaching in 1 John 4, 20-21, where he says, Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. In other words, if we're having trouble, if we're experiencing trouble in loving one another, you can always trace that back to a problem in loving God or accepting his love for you. Because loving God is what gives you the ability to love others the way he loves you. When love for God is strong and healthy, it's going to show 
through the incarnating of that same love that we've received to the people around us. Loving others is the fruit of loving God. Now, discipleship is certainly learning Jesus' way of life to become like him, but it doesn't stop there. Discipleship includes helping others learn Jesus' way of life so they can become like Jesus. The disciple makes new disciples. If the most important thing we can be doing is loving God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and loving our neighbors ourselves, if that's true, we all agree that's true, right? If that's true, if that's the great commandment, if all the law and the prophets sang on those things, and that's what we need to be doing for God, isn't then, doesn't it follow that one of the most loving things we can do for one another is help each other do the same? is help somebody else to love God better and love each other better? If that's really what it's all about, then that's what we should be doing. Incarnation naturally leads to impartation. Following the Great Commandment leads to living the Great Commission. To live the Great Commission, you need to be living the Great Commandment. One leads to and is implied by the other. Now, love is the value of God's kingdom. The question we need to be asking ourselves, not the person sitting next to you, <laughs> not your wife, not your husband, not your mother-in-law, what you need to be asking yourself, what I need to be asking myself is, am I living the great commandment? Am I loving one another? And the best way to answer that, the best way to get an honest answer for that is to ask people in your life to tell you how loving you are. Because loving others well is what naturally happens when we love God well. And loving God always leads to loving others. That's a tough question. but I can ask tough questions because I don't have to be here next week. Okay, Let me put it to you like this. Let me explain why this is so important. There's a difference between a suit and a costume, isn't there? A costume is for dressing up as something or someone you're not. A suit is for dressing up as something or someone that you are. A fireman does not dress in a costume. A fireman wears a suit, right? Batman does not wear a costume. He wears a suit. Like a guy in a Batman costume who would rather sit sipping his mocha frappuccino than stopping the guy who's robbing the cash register shows himself to be the furthest thing in the world there is from being the Batman. The Christian who is unloving shows himself or herself to only be in a costume of Christianity if they don't love other people. No matter how good everything else may look. This is not the real Batman. Do you know, can you tell? How can you tell? That's a great costume. But you know, Batman does not do takeout. So you know this is not the real Batman, right? If this guy is sitting eating his takeout and not taking out criminals, it's not Batman. 
doesn't matter that he looks like them. It doesn't matter if Jesus said that they would know we're his disciples by our love for one another. If we're not committed to learning the values of the kingdom, okay, if we're not committed to doing that, we're not going to be able to complete our mission or realize our vision. Let me state that in another way and let me state it positively. We need to be committed to learning to live the values of the kingdom of God so that we can complete our mission and realize our vision. We need to be learning to live that value of love together. And what does that look like? Let me take us back a little bit to that passage in 1 Corinthians. When a Christian is living that out, this is an example of what it's going to look like when you see it. He'll be patient. He won't lose his cool. He will put up with a lot without buckling. He's willing to suffer long. He's willing to be wrong, to be committed for the long run. She will be kind. She will seek to do good to everyone that she can, not only to her friends, but even to strangers, even to her enemies. Their good is what she wants for them. It's what she strives to give them. He does not envy the success, position, blessing, or possessions of anyone. Rather, he's happy in uh, seeing how others are blessed, even if they've been blessed a lot more than he has. She doesn't boast about her own successes or blessings or possessions, nor does she think that she's better for having been so blessed. Rather, she's humble in seeing how greatly that God has blessed her and is eager to share her blessings with those that have less, even if she's not going to get anything back for doing so. He's not proud. He's humble. He's meek and gentle. He knows that he is most in need of God's grace and mercy, and he doesn't bring any benefit to God. If God were to withhold his grace from him, he knows he'd be done. She doesn't dishonor others. She's not rude, she's not spiteful, she's not mean. She doesn't belittle others or speak down to them. What she says and does is done with honor and respect for the person or persons that she's relating to. He's not self-seeking. He doesn't insist on getting his own way. He's not guided by selfish, self-serving or self-promoting motives. His happiness isn't confined to himself. It's connected to the needs of others. And so putting others' needs before his own is what he lives for. It's what brings him happiness. She's not easily angered. She will be content to let many offenses pass under her love. When she's angry, it will be quick and short-lived because anger is not her nature. He keeps no record of wrongs. He doesn't hold grudges. He doesn't hold offenses over the heads of those who commit them. Rather, he's quick to forgive, to be gracious and merciful, even with his enemies, even with the greatest offenses. She doesn't delight in evil. 
She avoids offending and hurting people, gossip, slander, backbiting, whatever other be evil behavior that there is. They don't do anything for her. She detests them. She doesn't take part in it. Neither does she rejoice when bad things happen to people, even to her enemies. Rather, she mourns for it. He rejoices with the truth. He loves justice, righteousness, and doing all the good that he can. He's happy when he finds others doing good and when others experience good, even his enemies. She always protects. She's there to defend not only her own, but the poor, the lonely, the downcast, and the broken. Nothing will sway her from doing all in her power to protect those from evil, whether they love her back or not. He always trusts. He always bears up. He knows that while he's never enough, Jesus is enough. That through, though his faith is tried and tested and he suffers greatly in his circumstances for him faith, it will stand because Jesus is able to make him stand. She always hopes. Be her circumstance ever so bleak, her opponents ever so set against her, and though she loves, be ever so lost, yet she will not give up hope. The night may be dark, cold, and long, but she has the sure hope that the sun will break over the horizon. He always perseveres. His love for God and neighbors doesn't go out, but it burns through all that is thrown against him. And her love never fails. It endures. It's a rock. Not because she is a rock, but because she is vitally connected to the rock, who is love, nothing can stop her from loving, for in Jesus, her supply is limitless. The church needs men and women who are working towards that, who are striving with everything they have to have that character, to have that effect on those around them. Half the criticism of the church and Christianity would cease if only a tenth of Christians would be constantly striving to that so that they, this description that I just gave you was true of them more often than not. When people see you out in the community, they can't see your mission. They can't see your vision. They see your values. Your values are the public face of your mission and your vision. Live that life of love.